Okay, this morning uh, we come to a passage in the Revelation which is of incredible importance uh, to our world, to our lives, to understanding the things that we go on. I don't know if you've noticed, but there is a lot of things that happen in this world which are seemingly catastrophic. Uh, If you look, we have wars, we have violence, we have murder, we have hatred, um, we have famines. Why are they there? Why is... Why is all of this in this world? And, and really, uh, behind it all, why is there death? Now, this passage, people have often called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I don't know if you've heard of that. There's been a lot of horror movies made about this sort of thing. Is this what it's on about? I just want to tell you we're in a very important passage, and if you can stay awake and understand this today, it will help give a great understanding to how our world works. And will give us incredible peace. Okay, but we remember in chapter 4 and 5, we found out that there is one who is ruling over all things, one who sits on the throne, and that world, the world's destiny is not in the hands of evil forces, even though it may appear that way. It's not under blind fate. Whatever will be, will be. That's not it. Um, there, this world, history, all things is in the hands of a loving father and of a saviour who died for us, who the Revelation calls the Lamb, who is Jesus. And you remember at the end of chapter 5, we had this Lamb who was the only one worthy to open this scroll which had the destiny of humanity in it. He was the only one who could do it. Jesus. Because he died for his people. Because he was the lamb. Because he had the, the true nature of God. Because he truly loved the people. Because he was truly human being. He was the only one worthy to rule over history. And so he opens these scrolls. But when he opens these scrolls, maybe, I don't know what we're expecting really in history. But what we see is not unusual. It's a picture we're very familiar with of what our world looks like of wars and power struggles and, and so on, of, of bloodshed, of famine and plagues and death. Okay, what these things really do, what this passage really shows is that the self-defeating character of sin, sin turns back on itself. Okay? In, in one sense, the punishment for sin is sin, isn't it? And people live under it, they try and hide, and they, uh, but, they, but they can't get away from it. Sin's been in the world since Genesis 3, since the fall, and it brings pride and selfishness and worship of self. And in face of all these sins of humanity, God doesn't just let things take their course. Well, in one sense, he completely does, but he is not helplessly standing back. He is ruling over all things, bringing his judgments on the earth. Is that right for God to judge the earth? Well, we'll talk about that a bit. In, we'll talk about that a lot. Okay. He will punish sins. God will punish sin. Yep. Understand that. So I'm going to read through the passage uh, bit by bit. Um, and it says, Now as I watched, when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked and behold a white horse and its rider had a bow 
and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering to conquer. God sends out his first judgment on the earth. Now we understand this better as we go through the whole passage. But um, he sends out the first of his judgment, the first which, which comes in the form of a horse and a rider. And this uh, rider brings out a judgment of, of um, that looks like conquering, that looks like nation uh, trying to conquer other nations. Now, I'll just, sorry, I'll do a bit of background for this first, but um, God does bring his judgments. Even the work of the cross is the judgments of God, isn't it, on sin. It's just that Jesus bore the judgment in our place. Now, the first of living creatures speaks this um, with a voice like thunder and out comes this rider. The white horse makes us think of Jesus, but actually it's not really in this context Jesus because Jesus is the one opening the scroll. Okay? And uh, if you want to read Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 1 and chapter 6, the same coloured horses and horsemen are spoken about and their job is to patrol the earth. They bring rest to the earth. They also bring the Lord's will to the earth. Again, understand this. Don't think of uh, a literal horse running around. Think of this is God sending out his judgments on the earth in this way. And this is picture language of this. Does that make sense? Okay. He comes out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Just out of interest, I read in a news article the other day, it used that very phrase of Vladimir Putin, bent on conquest, a conqueror. Just uh, Where does that come from? Why is he like that? He's not the only one. Because the Americans are the good guys, they're never the bad guys, right? Uh, no, not true. Everybody's bent on conquest. Okay, he has a crown, the Greek word stephanos, uh, which means a wreath of victory. So he's given the ability to conquer. He's given the authority to conquer. It is given to him. Who's it given to him by? By God. Okay. So at the heart of humanity is a desire to have power over other people. Is that true? Do we see that all the time? People want to control and, and, and rule harshly over others. They want to invade nations to to increase their power, to increase their strength, to increase their glory, and they don't care how many people die to achieve it. That's just how it is. Now, I want, we just, I'm not going to do this with every horseman, but just to understand this, if we see that God's sending them out, these horsemen, and they cause all sorts of catastrophes and disasters, does that mean God is bringing sin? Okay. Now, God says in Isaiah 45, 7, uh, he says this, I form the light and I create darkness. I bring prosperity and I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Yep, I, the Lord, do all these things. It doesn't mean that God's making moral evil, but what it does mean is that he is bringing his right judgment on, on things. Look, put it this way. If a criminal commits a crime and he goes through court and gets put in jail and his rights are taken away, is that evil? 
No, it's just. Okay? It's not an evil judicial system or police system that does that. It's right. To bring punishment is right. If God brings punishment on this world, he is right and he permits and uses all of the evil plans of man because the reality is it's man who wants to conquer and, and, and murder, isn't it? From their heart of sin. Because whenever they act unlike God, who says, thou shalt not murder, yeah? So when they go against that, they, they reap the benefits of that, which is the judgment of God. You see, if we, if we don't see that God is behind these judgments, then we'll say this, everything bad happens is because of Satan. And poor old God, he's really losing, isn't he? Look at the news. God's not doing a very good job. He must have, mustn't have any power. But God is actually ultimately bringing all these things, and this gives us an incredible peace. It's right for God to judge sin, and the judgments he brings is, in one sense, to let people walk in their sin. Okay. So the, the evil that we see is simultaneously the evil of mankind and the judgment of God. Now, if you have prideful arrogance in humanity which stands against God and sins, okay, then naturally that's going to lead to the desire to conquer others with violence and power. So God gives the earth over to this very punishment. The opposite of the lamb who gave up his life for us. So this warlike conqueror comes out. Now, just out of interest, where is the first seen conquest of nations over nations in the Bible? Well, in Genesis 14. Because these things are not all future. This is a description of what has been happening since the fall and what will happen until the end. Nations will embark on, other, uh, uh, in, on conquering other nations. They'll unleash bloodshed and so on. So when you see it happen, you know, when we see a war and people are talking, you know, speak of rumours of war, well, there's a rumour of World War III that's been going on for about 10 months now. Mind you, it's probably been going on for most of our lifetimes. But when we see these things, what we want mostly is that they don't happen. But if they do happen, it is not a world out of control. It's a world under God's judgment. Do you understand that? Can you see the peace that that brings? Okay. I hope, I hope I have explained this well because it's really, really important for our lives. Okay, when he, verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. So this uh, second horseman the red representing bloodshed, and he is to take peace from the earth. Jesus said that there would be wars and rumours of the wars, and the first horseman brought conquest. But, you know, conquest sometimes results in peace. If you have a very, very powerful leader, like, say, the Roman Empire, or they bring peace with force. Okay? But this horseman, this second one, removes peace and causes that constant bloodshed that happens in humanity. Violence of murder in cities, in towns, in families. Do you know in Australia, 80% of all murders are within the family? Yeah, that's terrible, isn't it? Where does that come from? 
an outworking of God's judgment on sin. In other words, God turning people over to their very desire to murder, to hate. Bloodshed like this has actually been here since the beginning, hasn't it? Cain and Abel, that's when it began. First two children born on earth, one kills the other. Again, we see this writer is given power, his authority, his ability comes from God, it's not his own. He carries a large sword, he doesn't use it himself. He removes peace and men kill one another. They do the damage. And the word slay is the meaning of slaughter. Okay. When he opened the third seal, I heard, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked and behold a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and wine. Okay, the black horse, which is kind of like grief and mourning, um, he has a balance, a set, an old set of scales in his hand. Balance was used to weigh out rations, especially in a time of famine. You know that if you've got to weigh out wheat and barley on a little set of scales, it's a famine, isn't it? Because wheat, even, even in those times, you still had truckloads of wheat. You didn't have trucks, but you know what I understand. Yep. It, it, it's a time of, of, of want, a time of need, uh, a time of shortage. And the voice... Uh, is from the comes as a unified voice from within the throne, the four living creatures, because kind of actually what it, it's like all of these things bring this shortage. What brings shortage? War, yeah, murder and hatred, death, disease, all of these things. They always bring shortage. People fall short. They don't have what they need. Okay, at the prices that it's given there, a denario, a full day's wages would bring a quart of wheat or enough barley to feed your family. So that's what it's talking about. What, what sort of shortage? Enough that... It, what, how much do you earn in the day nowadays, people? Just say the average person earns 200 bucks a day, something like that. Is that fair? Enough to buy the food that you need just to survive. That's what it's talking about. But do not hurt the oil and the, oil and the wine... Which most people think quite simply means, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the poor people will just have enough to live. But don't worry about the rich people. They'll still get their oil and wine. The rich people will always be rich. They'll always have more than enough. Even the, in, in whatever famines and shortages there are in this world, the rich people will always have what they need. Their selfishness keeps it to them. Okay. The first famine in the Bible is recorded in Genesis 41. Pretty early on. So, the third horseman delivers a time of famine. It's not yet a total disaster, but difficult times, worse times are to come. It's, it's sort of, you know, not everyone dies, but there's a great shortage. Verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice from the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked and behold a pale horse. It's its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a quarter of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence 
and by wild beasts of the earth. So this colour, the pale colour, is, is that Greek word chloris. It's like a chlorine, uh, it's a horrible greeny brown sort of colour. Basically, it's the colour of a corpse, particularly if, if you're from Middle Eastern descent. So this uh, horseman brings death and Hades the grave that follows. Just remember, though, from chapter 1, who has the keys to death and the grave? Same two words, Jesus. He's the one who's unlocked it by his resurrection. For Christians. Now, these here, horse, horse again, this horse given power over a court of the earth. A terrible disaster, but not the death of all. Now, actually, pestilence and disease and things like this have happened. Well, about a third of Europe wiped out by the Great Plague. I don't know if we can even imagine that. In the, in the dark ages when did death come into the world well if you look at Genesis 5 you get that list of it's a different sort of genealogy it says there was so and so was the son of so and so and then he died and so and so was the son of so and so and then he died and then he died it finishes every sentence with and he died just to make the point that God said if you disobey my commandments you will surely die who brought the judgment of death on this world? God? Yes, completely. Who brought the judgment of death on this world? Man, by his sin, completely. There's no separation there, is there? Man brought it on himself, and God in his righteous judgments brings that judgment of death on people. It's not the devil's judgment. Okay. So the first, these horsemen, these four seals, show a world where men are eager for conquest, where there is danger, misery, war, scarcity, pestilence, disease and death in many ways. And in some way, these all are sent from the throne of God, part of his plans for history, as God's judgments on sinful man. God hands people over to the consequences of their sin. Now, often when we're talking about the cross and we're talking about Jesus, we say something like, God had to bring a punishment on sin, otherwise he would not be holy. That's true. And, and he brought the punishment for all who trust in Jesus is put placed on Jesus. If God did not punish the world for going against him in every point, he would not be holy, would he? He must bring judgment because he's holy. The judgments on this world are appropriate and right. And they are painful. But they are true. Okay. Then um, if we sort of lift our eyes. This is talked about a judgment on the earth. As the revelation goes on, this is going to be talked about more and more. It's going to be fleshed out in different ways. But then it's kind of like our eyes are lifted to something by the fifth seal that's going on in the heavenly realm. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who have been slain for the word of God and for the witnesses they had witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were killed as they themselves had been. 
Okay. Then, so John sees the, the altar, which in the old covenant was the altar where the sacrifice was brought at the temple. In the new covenant, it's the cross of Christ. And the souls of all who had died bearing witness to the gospel. Now, the word witness is the word martyr in Greek. So the one who dies bearing witness to Jesus is a martyr. Yep. These witnesses or these martyrs cry out for justice. Here we are. We're all in heaven. We're safe with God. But when will our death be avenged? Now you might think, well, that's not very Christian, is it? (laughs) That's what people will say. But is the cry for justice right? Absolutely. We long for justice, don't we? We long for justice in this world. We long that sinners be punished. We don't like to look at ourselves while we're saying that. But actually, if you're in Christ and you're under the cross, you can say it of yourself, may I be punished for my sin and know that in Christ that is truly done and no more judgment will come. So this is not a cry for revenge, but a cry for justice, which God has promised throughout Scripture. I will bring justice. So it's actually claiming the promises of God. Bring justice. Bring your judgment. Bring vindication for your people. Just as it said, you know, Abel's blood cried out from the ground. What a horrible act his murder was. And his blood cried out for justice. And the answer is God will bring his justice at his time. Not at our time. Not even in heaven. Because even those in heaven don't know the hour nor the day. But at the right time, God will bring his justice and he will do all that he promised. But these martyrs are given a white robe showing their righteousness, which is given to them and imputed to them through Jesus. And they're told to wait a little longer until the full number of martyrs come in. More people will be killed. People would often say in the 1900s, more people died for their Christian faith than in the previous 1,800 years. Now, we're probably going to get to the end of the 2000s and say the same. Okay. But it will end in God's good time. Christians may be killed for their faith, but where do these Christians who are killed for their faith end up? Under the throne of God, right there with him. Right in front of him. It's like... It's not saying that God has favourites, but there they are. Do you understand? There's a great peace in this. Christians who die for their faith, martyrs, witnesses, quickly go to glory. Verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I saw, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became as black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree, sheds its winter fruit when taken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountain, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Okay. This is the end. 
By the way, what happens in the Revelation is you kind of get six seals and you come to the end of all things and then the seventh seal opens and you get a whole other cycle. You get the seven trumpets. And then, you, and then, but when the seventh trumpet's open, you get the seven bowls of God's wrath. And then there's seven thunders, which we don't know much about, and so on. But what it's saying, is the revelation is not just one big timeline. It's, it's the story repeated again and again in a different way so that we can understand more of history. Does that make sense? Because you don't come back from, the, from all the stars and the sun and the moon disappearing and all the mountains crushing and there's nothing left on earth. Okay? That's the end. That's the day of judgment. Again, it's not literal because it, it, it's funny that uh, the, the mountains all disappear and then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the rich people and the powerful and everyone else goes and hides in the, in the rocks, in the mountains. Uh, you understand, this is a picture language of what would happen when all things, when all reference points are torn down and people are exposed completely. What do they want? What, sorry, what do they definitely not want? We do not want to be under the gaze of the Lamb, the Holy One of God. Get us away from the throne. I, I'd rather have rocks fall on my head and be crushed than to be under the gaze of the Holy One of God. This is the great day of judgment. The day of the Lord. The sun and the moon and stars, are, it rolled up like a scroll. It's like one of those hole in the blinds. And then it's gone. Everything's removed. All worldly, just imagine at that time you're holding on to your iPhone and go, this will keep me safe. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, or my uh, security system in my home, or my bunker underneath my home, or you know the, the baked beans buried in, inside that shipping container I got buried in my backyard because I'm a prepper. That'll keep me safe. Nothing will keep you safe unless you be in the Lamb, in Christ. He is the only safe place on this day. And the ungodly rulers vainly attempt to, to hide from the wrath of God. They're confused and all their securities are gone. Nothing earthly can save you from the wrath of God and the power and the authority of God Almighty. Flames of fire from the eyes of the Lamb and the, and the excruciating accusations of the conscience. It uses this phrase, the wrath of the Lamb. And you think, now hang on, Jesus, the Lamb, why would you have the, the wrath of the Lamb? Who's the wrath of the Lamb on? Well, it's under all those who reject the Lamb and the, and the salvation he gives. Yeah, Salvation comes through Christ alone. If you don't accept him, you remain under the wrath of the Lamb. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. That's the words of Jesus, by the way. Can you see that? The wrath of the Lamb is for all who will not accept the Lamb. And his wrath is completely valid. And no one will be able to put up their hand and say, God, you're unjust. You've got this wrong. I know better than you. Every mouth will be silenced. Humanity is shown to be completely impotent, powerless before God Almighty. But the Lord is good to those 
who are under the Lamb, isn't he? I'm reading from Nahum 6 and 7. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. Can you see that? That this judgment is, is a judgment that also brings peace to all those who are in him. This is not to terrify the saints. This is to give them joy and peace because we know that we are safe. Isaiah 54.10 says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Makes you want to be in the land, doesn't it? The only place in Christ. Um, if, you, if you fear the future, be in Christ. If, if you look at this world and you think it's a mess, if you look at your own family and you say this is a mess, if you look at everything and you're confused, be in Christ because he is the only safe place. And this is the world that we live in. It is a brilliant description of our world, isn't it? We will see these things happen throughout our lifetime as our grandparents and their grandparents did. And we can know that God is ruling over all things and that the one, the lamb, who is worthy to unroll the scroll of history and human destiny has given his life for us. That's why he's the lamb. This world's not out of control. And God is righteous in his punishment and his anger against all sin. But also, his grace restrains evil. Do you know this? If, if God did not restrain evil in this world, then people would just go to war and fight and everybody would be dead within probably... Definitely days, maybe hours, because God had restraints. No one would survive. But in all these things, God is working out his justice. Nothing can harm those, even if they face persecution and death, we saw of the martyrs. Nothing can harm those. They have eternal life. It's clear that we cling to him And we let this uh, flood our minds with a truth which will give us peace in whatever we face in this life. Hold on to the Lamb because He's everything. I'm going to pray. Father, as, uh, as harsh as this word seems, we know that all that we have is in you. So we just want to thank you for your grace and mercy. We know that all the judgments described here we deserve and so we're so thankful that you sent your son to take the judgment in our place. And Father, we just want to look to him again today and say, yes, Jesus is everything to us. And Father, we also want to thank you and praise you for your judgments, for your holiness, for your justice on this earth. And uh, Father, we want to just... Say you are awesome and you are beyond anything 
that we can ever achieve or desire or think of. Everything is yours. You are the king of this world. All glory and honour and power is yours. And Father, we pray that you may be worshipped throughout this world, but also within our hearts day by day. That we would worship you through Jesus, our Saviour. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.